good morning. I heard one person say good morning. Thank you, Pastor Seth. Good morning. There we go. We are awake. Thank you. My name is Aiden, um, the most recent addition to the pastoral staff. I'm the uh, associate pastor of outreach, also media director as well. It's an honor to be with you this morning uh, in this series called Rebuild. Today, we are rebuilding muscle. All right, camera, zoom in on that bicep, right? I've been working on this thing. Right. Uh, my, my wife is a health and fitness coach, so she does make me do some work. No, I choose to work out with her. Um, anyway, so you got the message today to bring your sneakers and your gym shorts. We're going to take a five-minute break, you know, change. We're going to meet back in the gym where we re- rebuild some muscle, right? That's about the same, same response I got at the first service. They were like, what? No, no. So that's not what we're doing today. Um, but we are going to be looking in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, so you can turn there. We'll be there. We'll be in a couple different script, uh, scriptures in, in uh, the New Testament here today. But that's where we're going to start. But talking about rebuilding muscle. And like, Aiden, what are you talking about, rebuilding muscle? It might help if we kind of backtrack a couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron preached on rebuilding your altar of praise, which was all about worship, right? How do we enter into the presence of Christ through our worship as priests, that we are all called to this priestly, uh, this encounter that we can meet the presence of God. Last week, um, Pastor Chad preached on rebuilding community. There's the community group connection event afterwards. This is all about belonging, right? So if you've been here before, you might have seen on our website or hear us talk about worship, belong, and there's a third part to it, worship, belong. Anybody know what it is? Serve. Okay, so okay. Worship, belong, serve. Rebuilding muscle, rebuilding our, what is it that we're doing here, right? How are we serving? How are we serving one another? How are we serving the community? And I, I, I wonder if, you know, this analogy holds any, any water of muscle and serving. And I, and I think about um, what happens to a muscle when you don't use it, when you don't exercise it for a while. Atrophy. Right? And I remember the very first time that I ever saw this happen, uh, a friend of mine when I was growing up, his name was Ben, it seemed like just about once a year uh, he, he would come in with a cast to school, right? I don't know if he was just unlucky or clumsy or brittle bone, I don't know, but he always showed up. It's like, Ben, what happened now? He's like, oh, I fell off my bike, broke my arm, right? And then another, another year, he's like, what happened now? Ah, uh, well, this, no, no, no. So one year he came in and he had a, a full-length cast from like his toe all the way up to his hip. Anybody ever see? Anybody wear one of those before? Thankfully, no. He was on crutches for a long time. And then I, it was the summer when he got it off. And then as soon as he got it off, I saw him and he was wearing shorts. And I was like, what happened to your leg? It's like, I thought it was just broken. And he's like, well, yeah, that's what happens when you don't use your leg for a couple months. Uh, I'd never seen this before. But his one calf muscle was like normal teenage, you know, calf I don't know what the word for that is, muscular. And then his other leg was like a stick, right? He hadn't used it even in the course of like two, three months, and it was just like, and I wonder if there's a sense of in this pandemic and if if in shutting down some of the ministries of the church or other things around the community, if there's a sense of like, have we lost something in our ability to serve in our strength? And not to say that serving has not happened. There have been so many people who have been involved in the life and the ministry of the church or so many people who have served just even outside of the church in, in helping neighbors or, or going on a grocery run. And like what an awesome thing that this has been an opportunity to serve. But yet, is there something left to, to be rebuilt in this and to be rebuilding 
muscle. And so, so I, I, with analogies, I kind of take them to, like, to the extent of where, where does this na- analogy break down? I think it doesn't take too long before it breaks down, right? Because how do you actually physically rebuild a muscle? Well, it's under t- uh, times of tension, time under tension on that muscle, it tears apart the fibers, right? And then you have to have times of rest where they get to rebuild, right? So tension and stress, and as you're working out, what's kind of the goal is until that muscle is completely burned out and I can't do anything with it anymore, I really want to apply this to the church, okay? So I have this discipline here. Oh, okay, we'll stick with the muscle. Discipline of, of, of working out over and over again, you know, keep coming back to work out, uh, so that I can do something eventually that I can't do right now. So I want, to, I want to be able to, like, curl 50 pounds. I can't do that. But maybe if I start now with 15 pounds, I can do that. Do that for a couple of weeks. Well, up it to 20 pounds. I'll do that for a couple of weeks. All right, feeling pretty good. And then maybe eventually someday we could do 50-pounders, right? Serving. Well, maybe this week I could serve for maybe five minutes. Maybe in a couple weeks I kind of build up a tolerance to it. And then I could serve for 10 minutes in the next week. And maybe, maybe you know, eventually I get to like an hour and then two hours. And you keep adding and adding until what happens to the muscle? It burns out. Has anyone ever felt that or seen that before, whether or not it's in a church or anywhere of like you just keep doing and doing and doing until you have nothing left to give? And sometimes it just gets ugly because then that's when I know when I'm feeling burned out. I'm like, that's what I'm most likely to yell at my kids. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm like, ah, no, I can't do anything else. No, I can't help you tie your shoes. It's ridiculous what comes out of us when we're feeling burned out. So... Rebuilding muscle must be something different than just exercising and trying to get better and better at doing this more and more. So today, let's figure out what this is. So we've got three different analogies. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 12, and it's about the body. So this is part one, the body, and we'll have two more parts after this. So this is what Paul says, and I think this is, this is almost like the foundation. Like, okay, if we're going to rebuild muscle, we got to understand what he's talking about, how the body operates. And he says this in verse 12. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And and this is like one of the mysteries of Christ and how though we come from various backgrounds or how we were raised or different ethnicities, and yet in Christ there is this unity, this coming together into oneness in Christ, all made to drink of one spirit, that the spirit joins us together. Okay, so, all right, we're joined together as a body. All right, what does this mean? I say, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then Paul says this. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, would that not make it any less a part of the body? And I start thinking about this, like, Paul, what's he talking about here in this letter to the Corinthians? What's the context here? If you've read Corinthians, the beginning of it says, hey, look, I've heard, this is Aiden's paraphrase, I've heard from the household of Chloe that there's some divisions in the church. You guys are divided over some issues. Like, it's not to be that way. 
And, and they sent him a list of questions, right, that he answers. He says, oh, now to turn to your questions that you asked. And, and he's trying to help them out. And then I wonder, I wonder why they asked questions. Well, probably because there were some people who had one opinion about what to do and, and other people in the church that had a different opinion and they're button heads and they're fighting about all sorts of things. Uh, some of them head covering, some of them, okay, what, what do we do about food sacrifice to idols? Some people are like, yeah, we're good. Some other people are like, no, we can't eat that. And, it's like, and there's division and fighting in the church. How are we going to, what are we supposed to do? Man, if only Paul were here today, there's no fighting in the church, right? There's no, no points of tension among us at all. This pandemic hasn't been rough. I'm speaking sarcastically. So, um, Paul, you know, what do we do about this issue? Ah, and here he says, guys, no, 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 no. You got to understand. Look, just because you disagree with each other doesn't mean that you're not still joined together. And even in this example of functioning, like different body parts, just because foot, you're not like that hand, doesn't mean that you're any less a part of the body. Even if you have different opinions on this, you got to come together. And this one, I think he's specifically he's talking about this is spiritual gifts. That's what he's talking about in the section of Corinthians. You know, different people have different gifts. And someone's saying, well, well, I feel like I'm the foot down here and everybody's walking on me. And, and yet I want to be the hand. And it's like, since I can't get to be a hand, you know what? I'm not part of the body. And Paul's like, no, you can't say that. You are, if you are in Christ, you are in the body, however God has gifted you. He continues on. So he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of snap, smell? But as it is, listen to this, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so God is saying, like, look, the diversity that we bring with us, this is not a curse. This is not, can we not see this as, as budding heads, but can we see the actual diversity as something that can be good and can be useful for the kingdom? If we can learn to be together with one another, if we can learn to accept, if we can learn to say, like, like Paul is saying, you know, everyone brings the value that God has gifted them in. And I feel like I've talked with several people who've said, like, like my gifts in the church. Actually, there was one guy when I was in Williamsport. He's like, he was, a, he, was a, he was a graphic designer, and he's like, I feel like every church I've been to, they don't know what to do with me. Like, I don't have a place. And so we were like, hey, well, we would love to have, like, quality design work. Like, how about the best of our creativity to set forth before the world to say, like, this is a place where creative people are valued. You have a place here. That's what Paul's saying. If you're in Christ, you have a place here. So not only are we in the body, but diversity is a blessing in the body. And then he says this. He says, uh, you know, we're going to back up to verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Right? We can't get along. You know, the parts of us or the, those of us who's like, what, what, this gift I have or what I do here at the church, does it even really matter? 
says, this is indispensable. Even the smallest offering that we have to bring is indispensable to the life of the body. He even goes on to make a further point on this. He says, um, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And he says this, and our unpresentable parts, pause there, Paul, what are you talking about? Yeah, he's talking about what you think he's talking about. Our unpresentable parts, right, parts of our body that are kept private, that people may not know anything about, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And, and I think in my mind of the, the workings of the church that, that are hidden, that we know nothing about, the things that, like, taking out the trash. Is there not an honor that the things that are hidden in the workings of the church that we just don't see? And yet I think Paul is saying, let's honor this. I also think of in Matthew where he says, you know, let, don't let, and when you're giving to the poor, don't let your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that there's this, there's this almost like hiddenness. Let your works be done in secret that your Father in heaven who sees in secret may reward you. This is Paul, all in that same vein of like, let's honor these things, even that go unnoticed. So, he says this, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So there's a sense of like, okay, we are in the body. If you're in Christ, whether or not you like it or not, you are in and you are a part of this. You have something to contribute. And then he says, not only that, but we need to be for the body. We need to care for one another. And as I'm thinking through this, okay, how does this apply to rebuilding muscle? Right? What, is that, what does it apply to serving? And like this rebuilding muscles that, that we, as the body of Christ, need to be in alignment with each other. We need to be, know that we're in this together. We need to be caring for one another. If we aren't there in that starting point, that if we're not in alignment, well, has anyone ever done any like workouts and like you do it and you're out of alignment and then you hurt yourself? Uh, it was me, a little story. So my wife was on vacation, and, and I don't know, like you would think if I was working out with her, I would try and like do like really heavy things to impress her. No, 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 it's when she goes away that I'm like, I get stupid, right? Uh, yeah, so like she was on, on a trip in February, and I, we were, I was doing a workout program. I was like, I'm going to keep going. I was like, oh, you know what? I bet I could up my weights. And it was like this, I remember the, the, the workout. And it's like, I'm going to use 225s and do this burpee press where you go down, you jump your legs back, and then you lift the weights up, and then you push them over your head. And I did it like three times. And on the fourth one, I, the alignment was off. And I got about this far, and I used my back to swing those weights up. And I stop right here. And I go, oh, and I drop the weights, and I fall over on my side. And I think I was, I was like in this position, like literally, I was actually crooked like this for like a week. You should have seen me like shuffling to the doctor's office. I'm like, ugh. If the body is not in alignment and we try to like rebuild muscle, if we're not in this together, if we're not for one another, we just end up hurting ourselves. So how important this first idea of the body, before we even go and do anything, how are we caring for one another? How are, we, how are we around the issues that divide us? We say, look, I might disagree with you, but I'm for you, brother. 
We may not stand on the same ground on this issue, but you know what? I'm in this with you, that there may be no division in the body. First example is body, right? And then he says this in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Imagine that. So how often do I, do I really think about that? Look, what we are a part of here is the, the physical presence of Christ in this room right here. Like, this is us. This is the body. That we are not just in the body, not just for the body, but we are to be engaged in the mission of Christ. This is not just to come together to, to help one another out. These are good things. It's not just to... to um, you know, sing nice songs or, or, or feel like we did a good thing for this week, but to say, like, no, actually, we are to be engaged in the mission of what Christ came to do until he returns. The mission that started from the beginning of time, so like, this, this, this is our job here and now to be engaged in that mission. So what is Christ, what was his purpose? And the first thing that comes to mind is when we said, Jesus said, he said, I, I come to seek and to save the lost, that we are here to be his physical representation. And so, and so the, the, the words that come to mind after that is that, well, then serving, then rebuilding this muscle, this is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. And do we understand that, the gospel of like us being engaged in the mission of Christ? And I think so often that the evangelical church has said, has said well, you know, here, here's, what we, here's how we present the gospel we present it as, well, if you, if you pray this prayer, you say, recognize I'm a sinner, I pray this prayer, and then suddenly, poof, something happens, and, and, and I believe the right thing, and then therefore, I, I get to go to the good place, and I avoid the bad place. And it's all about, like, going to heaven, and we miss out on the mission of what is here and now. I've been listening to a book recently. It's called Eternity is Now in Session by a guy named John Ortberg. And it's just reminded me of, of, of the reality of the kingdom here and now, and the reality of the gospel that we can't, can't, yes, this is a part of it in believing what Christ did and dying on the cross and forgiving our sins. And yes, that we will be with him together in heaven one day. But when we put so much emphasis, if we put emphasis just on that, we miss so much more of what he has for us now. The book's title even, Eternity is Now in Session. And this, this thought kind of blew my mind that was in the book that he shared. He said, okay, we, we so often think of eternity as, okay, in heaven, we get to spend eternity with God someday. That eternity is, is later. He's like, no, 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 eternity is now. Even look at how Jesus talked about it. He says, what is eternal life? It's knowing God and this isn't my idea, this is straight from his idea. Actually, I think he got it from somebody else as well. But this idea of eternal life, it's not quantitative. It's not like a number of days that will be together forever and ever. Instead, eternal life is knowing God. It's, it's, it's that relationship. It's that intimate experience. It's not just knowing about God, but it's experiencing him. It's not quantitative then. It's qualitative. It's a quality of life that's being in relationship with him. And then he points out in the book, even Jesus. Like, how did Jesus talk about the gospel? And this is, okay, so this is moving from part one, the body, to part two, which is the kingdom. Jesus framed the gospel as a, this, the kingdom. And this is what John Ortberg in the book is like. We need to get back to this mindset of realizing, okay, this is part of the gospel. Let's look, the fullness of the gospel 
as kingdom work. So this is what Jesus says about it in the beginning of Mark. This is Mark chapter 1. He says this. I think I just have verse 15 on the screen, but I'm going to read verse 15, uh, 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1. He says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. It's like, wait, wait, wait. If the gospel was just about, like, his death and resurrection, then, then I would expect him to say, okay, you know, believe the right things in me. When I die, then you'll be good because I'm going to die. And then, you, you know, believe that I've raised again. But that's not what he says. What is this good news that he's talking about? Gospel translates as good news. And he says this. This is the good news. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So this is the idea that the gospel, yes, it's, it's believing in, uh, you're putting our, our believing in Jesus and who he says he is, but it's also believing that heaven is not for us to go to someday. It's the exact opposite. The kingdom of God is here and now. How much better news is that than saying, okay, well, you know what, you just got to struggle it out in this life, and you get there someday once you die, versus the idea of heaven being here and now and saying, okay, actually, God is available to you, and his kingdom where he rules and reigns is present in this moment right here. That gets me excited. Instead of saying to someone, well, you got to believe the right stuff. That's not what he said to the disciples. He didn't say, okay, all right, once you believe the right stuff about me, then you're in. He said, okay, guys, you're a bunch of ragtag fellas. Just come follow me. And then belief followed. The kingdom is at hand. What good news this is. So serving is a gospel issue. And, and, then I, and then I pick up this sheet of paper. Okay, you saw the sheet of paper. How many of you saw this and like, oh, great. They're going to ask me to sign up for something today. Uh, what am I going to do, right? Do I have to fill this out? It completely changes our perspective on this. This is not like a list of stuff that we just, we just got to fill all these spots so that we can turn the crank and like, you know, you know make all the stuff happen that we think should happen. This is an invitation, into gospel living, to, to expanding the kingdom, to kingdom work, and saying, you know, where might God want to advance his kingdom through us? And every single one of these, as I look through these, like even as a greeter, how do we greet kids who are coming into the, to the kids' ministry? There's an opportunity for the, the kingdom of God to expand and to be present right here, right here and now and how we interact with kids. There's an opportunity with high school students to bring the kingdom of heaven that is in you if you believe in Christ Jesus, the kingdom that he has established in your heart, to bring that on the media team. Like, oh my gosh, like right now, we're, hey, folks online, we are bringing the kingdom and you are bringing the kingdom to your homes and wherever this broadcast might go. The expansion of the kingdom and the worship team, even on the, in the, working in the, all of these are an opportunity the expansion of the kingdom. Can we change our mind to think about this? And so how does the kingdom of God actually then advance? So I was thinking about this, and the scripture that came to mind is from Matthew 11, and I, I was like, ah, I don't really know if I understand the scripture. Uh, and so I was like, let me, let me, let me do, do some digging here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, says this. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, 
How does it advance? Well, this is what, this is what uh, Jesus says. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Wow. He's like not even, he's even saying like, hey, before I was even here proclaiming the gospel of God, John the Baptist, he got this thing right. He, he was bringing heaven to earth. Right? The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. And it's like, okay, I, I, do I think I understand this? Because I used to think, okay, forceful men. I'm thinking of like, do you guys remember from like the 90s, the power team? They would like take like rip phone books in half and like live big heavy things. And their, their, their kind of motto was not by might, not by power, but by the spirit. It says even though their bodies were physically strong. But I still have this idea of like this strong dude. Like, okay, if we are forcefully advancing the kingdom, we're going to go out with strong guns and strong muscles and be like, okay, you're in, come with me. And we're like, you know, or preaching fire and brimstone or, you know, scaring, scaring the hell out of people kind of thing of like, you need to be here and, you know, forcefully by the standards of the world. But I think I'm getting this wrong. And so I was doing some reading, and I came across this, which is written by Fred Hartley, which may, be, may sound familiar. He's a um, mentor to Pastor Aaron here, leads the College of Prayer. And this is what, this is what he says about this verse, Matthew eleven twelve, 12, about the forcefulness of the king. What is this forcefulness? He says this. He says, the kingdom of God, well, in this kingdom of God, God is the initiator kingdom has been forcefully advancing. This is God's initiation. And then we are the responders. Forceful ones lay hold of it. This is our response to God. But then he says this. He says, God can only do through us what God does in us. The kingdom has been forcefully advancing, forcefully advancing God's work in us so that he might work through us. Forceful ones lay hold of it. And he goes on, and, he, and he, he lists out 10 different evidences of kingdom works. It's almost like the fruit of the kingdom. How do we know when the kingdom is there? Well, then you start to see these things show up in people's lives. I'm not going to read all 10 of them, but, but it kind of strikes me, the first couple of them. You know, what is the evidence of the kingdom of heaven? What is this forcefulness that God is working in our hearts? The very first one, genuine humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. That when God is forceful in us, then the response is this genuine humility. It's the opposite of what the world, okay, I'm going to be forceful. Well, humility doesn't fall on that forceful list in the world. This is deep repentance is number two. It says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe good news, right? So how do we respond? The kingdom of God is right here and now. I love the definition of the word repent, where it says it's like to, to, to um, almost like waking up. It's a, it's a turning away from sin and a turning to God, but it's as if, as if someone tapped you on the shoulder and you're like, I've been looking this way for so long, I'm so engaged in my life and my world, and somebody taps me on my shoulder, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's, there's God. He's right here. A waking up to the reality of God, deep, deep repentance, a deep turning and to God by just by the love that we were singing about earlier of God. And number four that he says is new steps of obedience. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So the, 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 the evidence of the kingdom is not like, okay, well, then we got big muscles and we're moving big boulders or we're lifting big logs. It's, no, it's 
deep work in our souls. So, rebuilding muscle is allowing God to work in us before he works through us. And you say, okay, well, then I can just toss this paper out because he needs to do a big work in me and, uh, you know, I'm not qualified because I, I got to wait till he does a work in me before I can sign up for something, right? Well, maybe God wants to use these very opportunities that are before you to do a work in you even as he may be working through you. And we're focusing not on, on the, the results of this, but like, okay, what does it look like for me to have a deep humility? And you say, you know what? Whatever you need. Church, whatever you need. Here I am. Whatever you need. So that was the second, second part two. The kingdom. Rebuilding muscle in, in this kingdom is being aware. Uh, and it's an invitation to kingdom life. Letting God work in us before he works through us. So the third, the third analogy um, for today is the vine. All right, to kind of go deeper. So, so the kingdom was kind of this, this big view of like, okay, serving as a gospel thing, as a big view, and now kind of to zoom down in to the vine, which is from John 15, 5. Now we'll go to verse 4 and 5 in John chapter 15, which says this. It says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. It says, neither can you unless you abide in me. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So in reading this, the question is, so, so what is the job of the branch? And we might often look at a tree and say, well, well like a, a, a grapevine. Okay, he's talking about a vine. Was the job of the branch on the vine to bear the grapes? And Jesus is saying, no, that's not your job. It's the job of the church just to, to do a bunch of stuff. If we look at it as a bunch of stuff to do, he's like, no, that's not your job. And, and then I said, well, okay, maybe it's this kind of idea of like connectedness to Jesus. And I, and I start thinking, okay, so if I'm connected to Jesus, I'm holding on to Jesus, maybe, maybe that's my job. I just kind of cling to him with my fists as tight as I can. But I go back to verse 2 and I read this. It says, in verse 2 of John 15, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. And let me read that again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So this possibility, like, could I be in Christ? Could I be holding on to him with all my life here with my hands as tightly as I can, but not be bearing fruit? Sounds like that's a dangerous position to be in because then what happens? It's not, like, it's not like, okay, well, here, here's the vine and there's some branches over there that aren't even connected. We're going to burn those. He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm evaluating this vine and I see there's some people that are holding on pretty tightly and there ain't no fruit. And he cuts them off. He says, if it does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does not bear fruit or that does bear fruit, he prunes. Later on, he says that he takes those branches, he throws them in the fire. It's like, ooh. So what is the essence here and I think it's a really an understanding of that, that word abide, that there's something more than just a connection, something more than just grasping at Jesus and holding on. There's this abiding life. You know, abide, the idea of, of, of living in him and him living in us, this exchange back and forth. 
And so the, the, this fruitfulness has to be, there's a letting go of, well, of results of, the, of whatever it is that we're doing. We've got to let go of the idea of fruitfulness, almost have to let go of some ideas of, of maybe what I think I'm supposed to do right now, even in, in like my grasp of Jesus, and so that there can be this flow of his life into me and my life into him, to be in Christ, Christ in me. Uh, a friend of mine passed on this quote on, on what this spiritual journey looks like, and I feel like it really applies to this vine type of life and the exchange that happens in a branch that's connected to the vine. It's from a book called An Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland, and it says this. It says, our spiritual journey is not our setting out by gathering information and applying it correctly to find God as an object out there to be grasped or controlled by us, like this, this, this grasping and like, okay, I'm grasping and controlling what it is that this is, this is like my, my, my faith is like this and I'm holding onto it and grasping it and controlling in a controlling way. But he says this instead, it says, it is a journey of learning to yield ourselves to God and discovering where God will take us. That idea of yielding. So what does yielding look like? So um, where, where, Emily and I used to, uh, we used to live up in Williamsport, and we were part of a church up there, and we were part of the prayer, prayer ministry. So, so an idea of, like, what does yielding to God look like? Well, I kind of automatically think of times, like, when did I not yield to God? And uh, so we would stand in the back of the church, and we'd often be waiting for people to come to us to pray. And, you know, I'd look out over the, over the congregation, and I would say, oh, okay, I pray for, I'll even pray for, you know, this per- someone stands out to me. I was like, I'll pray for that person. You know, I'd be praying silently for them. And then one day, God just kind of like this nudge in my heart, not like an audible voice or anything, but it was just like this nudge that was like, go pray for them. I was like, I don't know what's going on in their life. I make up these excuses in my head. I say, I I don't know, I can't do that. Not yielding to God, right? And so the worship song ends, they walk up and leave, and I'm feeling like, oh, I missed the opportunity. Well, God is gracious. And he said, okay. And then another week comes by. Well, this person, pray for them. And maybe that week I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. And then finally, one, one Sunday, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, have the, the, the guts to walk up to somebody maybe I knew or maybe I didn't know. And, and just to be obedient to that nudge of God. So yielding to him. And you see, like what you said, like discovering where God will take us. And sometimes I'd walk to somebody and I'd pray for them and they'd be like, thanks. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And there was like nothing. It was like, all right, God, I don't know what you did there, if there was anything that you were doing. And other times, like I'd pray for someone and like I'd just be like, okay, God, I pray. And I feel like just a burden over this person. God, I pray that you would just release that. I, well, I don't know what the words were, but and there were some times where God did a work in that. Not, not, not because of me. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Just out of obedience to what he was calling me to do. And so that same idea of, of how can we yield ourselves to God? This is just a tool of, of saying, here's some opportunities that maybe God would be calling you to yield to him and see what journey he might have for you. And we never know unless we take a first step in yielding to him. So rebuilding muscle means yielding to Christ, humbly submitting to him. So I've got one last thing I want to read to you. Uh, it's kind of funny how God, like, in, in, maybe it's not funny, it's just the way that he works, right, and things that kind of come together. And so, like, this past week in my devotional reading of my utmost for his highest, I read this on September 2nd. It's like, oh, this is so good. 
It's talking about when Mary of Bethany breaking a flask of oil uh, to anoint Jesus before his death. And he says this, so when Mary of Bethany broke the flask of very costly oil and poured it on Jesus' head, it was an act for which no one saw any special occasion, right? They didn't know what was going to happen. In fact, there were some who said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? It's Mark 14, verses 3 and 4. But Jesus commended Mary for her extravagant act of devotion. It's that idea of like that our, our, our response to God is this act of devotion and love for him. So Jesus was commended Mary for that act of devotion and said to her, wherever this gospel is preached, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So our Lord is filled with overflowing joy. So the response, like, okay, we respond to him, and then his response to us is like this overflowing joy. When he sees us just pouring out our lives for him. So he sees, uh, let me read that sentence again. I cut, I cut him off. Sorry, Oswald, I cut you off. So our, our Lord is filled with overflowing joy whenever he sees any of us doing what Mary did, not being bound by a particular set of rules, but being totally surrendered to him. God poured out the life of his son that the world through him might be saved. Are we prepared to pour out our lives for him? Jesus said, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and hundreds of other lives will be continually refreshed. Now is the time for us to break the flask of our lives to stop seeking our own satisfaction and to pour out our lives before him. And our Lord is asking, who of us will do it for him? So in that spirit of of Isaiah, when God said, who will go for me? All he could do is say, you know, here I am. Like Moses, like Moses, you know, go to a place where I haven't even told you yet. And Moses is like, okay, I don't know where I'm going, but here I am. May we have that same response to the Lord. Here I am. Humble submission, just like Jesus in the garden. He says, you know what? I, not my will, but yours be done. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And, and, and in this time, this final time of response, you know, would we, would, we, would, we, would we take that question, look at our hearts and say, you know, where does God maybe want to work in me so that he can work through me? Where do I need to understand more deeply the presence of the, of, of the kingdom of God that is available here and now so that I can understand that, so that I can take that with me out into the world? How does my mind need to be reframed about things like this, of like feeling like an, an ask where it's, a, it's an invitation not to a burden but to a life of joy with Christ in serving? What does it look like for me to say, okay, God, here I am. Use me. Send me. For his glory and for the good of this place. Let's pray. Jesus, we keep coming back to that, that like how good you are and you don't ask us to do anything that you have not already done for us. You take the first step 
as every good leader. You're the one who, 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 who steps out first and says, look, follow me. May our hearts respond to that love of your goodness. May our hearts just overflow with your love. And that overflowing might just pour out into the world. God, that your blessings that, that you pass on to us and down into us and through, that would not like get bottled up inside of it, but that we would be blessed in order to be a blessing to the world, that we would be on mission with you to seek and to save the lost. That we would see your kingdom here. May we respond as, you, as we sense your call, that we would yield to you in humble submission, say, okay, here I am. Here's my heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.